Well, can I encourage you to have your Bibles open? Now, welcome to those on live stream. My name's Rick. If you don't know, uh, it's great to have you join us. Um, we've been working through some pretty encouraging or maybe challenging, but deeply practical parts of God's Word. As Jesus is teaching, uh, we are left with a real understanding that we should be listening. So how's God's word changing you? Uh, We spent four weeks looking at um, this particular part of Luke's gospel. What's the thing maybe over the last year that you can think of how something you've learned has changed what you've done as a follower of Jesus? And then there's the ongoing struggle, not just of knowing it here, but putting it into practice, isn't there? Uh, consistently, uh, we all struggle with that, as we'll, fight, we'll see as we get through. So it's worthwhile thinking through how Jesus' teaching is changing us, because we get to a part of Jesus' teaching today when we see how important it is that we don't just gather information through our ears, but we're transformed by what we know. We read in Luke chapter 6, verse 27... Uh, something we looked at three weeks ago, that Jesus is speaking to those in the broader crowd, those that are listening from all over the place. And he says some profound things. Now, these people love listening to Jesus. He is a profound teacher. He's far more interesting to listen to than I am. He's far more authoritative than anyone you've ever come across. He exposed false teaching amongst the people they looked up to, the religious leaders of the time. And we see that they travelled large distances to go and see him. Your favourite band is touring Australia, just going to Sydney because that's all they know about in Australia, and you really want to go and see it, you'll travel. Well, Jesus is speaking and people have travelled great distances to hear him but Jesus is drawing to the end of his time and he makes it very clear that you might like what I say and be entertained in the way I say it but if you don't allow my words to change what you do you're cactus why don't we pray that the reality of what Jesus is saying roughly 2,000 years ago might be something we take seriously today. Our Lord and our God, as we gather together as your people and hear from your word, words that are often familiar, we pray, Lord God, that your word will transform us right to our very core, transform the way that we love Transform the way that we show mercy. Transform the way that we live. We ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Well, I keep pointing out that when we read God's word, it is very important that we don't just grab our favourite section, our favourite sentence, and get carried away with that. Context really, really matters. And it's easy, and people have done it. Broken what Jesus has said here, broken it down into pithy little sayings. I'm not going to go through them all now, 
But I want to remind us that context is really important because in the section we're really focusing on from verse 43, there is a heading that separates us from verse 42 and yet in the Greek there's a word that says it's joined to it. What I mean is it's one tea time of teaching that we've broken up and dangerously caused it to become out of context. Let me take you back to some of the context. Go to chapter 6, verse 11. Jesus is, has been exposing the hearts of the Pharisees, the legalistic, moralistic, graceless teachers of God's people. Did they like it? The short answer is no. Verse 11 says they are furious. That's not just slightly grumpy, that's boiling anger that they have at Jesus. And so they're discussing with one another what they might do with Jesus. And just in case you're uncertain where that led led to, on next Friday we celebrate Good Friday because that's the day we celebrate the day they killed him. You know where it's heading. They're not interested in honouring Jesus in their lives. They're not interested in honouring God in their lives. Luke tells us that Jesus gathers his disciples around him, following this, and starts to teach them. And so that's what we've been unpacking in the last four weeks. Why is he teaching them and the larger crowd around them? Because who they listen to really matters. It will affect their eternity. And Jesus wants them to know that the decision of who they listen to is vital. Who will they listen to? The scribes and the Pharisees? Or Jesus? Which brings us to where we're looking at. Chapter 6, verse 43, the area we're going to focus in on today. Who will they choose to listen to? Now, Jesus has been already dropping hints that this is important. The section we looked at last week and this week. Will they listen to Jesus or will they listen to the, go on listening to the scribes and the Pharisees? They are the people that they've looked up to. Those faith, well, they've seen them as faithful followers of Yahweh. And Jesus has exposed them as not faithful followers of Yahweh. Will they listen to the Pharisees, the scribes, teachers of the law? Or will they listen to Jesus? And the reality is this. You cannot choose both. You cannot pick a bit of the old and meld it with a bit of the new. Jesus has just been talking about this. Remember the new wineskin, old wineskin stuff? You cannot actually choose the bit that you like from the Pharisees and choose the bit that you like from Jesus. They are mutually exclusive. You cannot have salvation by graceless, moralistic, legalistic living and salvation by grace. They are mutually exclusive. And the choice that they make the choice that we make, Jesus says in this passage, will impact our eternity. So let's look at what he says. Verse 39, section we looked at last week, blind guides leading blind people end up in big holes. Students only get to where their teachers are. 
So choose wisely which teacher you're going to follow. Students only ever reflect their teachers. And so students of false teachers become false teachers. Unless, and this is the point of everything Jesus is saying, they change who they listen to. So what does the passage say? Let's have a look at verse 43. Bad trees bear bad fruit and good trees will always only ever bear good fruit. And so what Jesus is saying is the type of tree you are matters. Now if you're into gardening, you might be thinking that Jesus is giving some horticultural advice here that says if you've got a bad fruit tree, then all you need to do is water it add fertiliser, and what else do you need to do? Prune it. Now, if that's the way you were thinking, that all you needed to do was water, add fertiliser, and prune it, then you've misread what Jesus says. You see, Jesus is saying that trees don't change. What does he say? Fig trees always bear figs. Briar trees always bear I don't know, briar fruit. Now, I think briar fruit's quite nice. I love blackberry jam. Does Jesus make a mistake in what he's saying? No, I'm just misapplying what he's saying. I think you can read with what Jesus is saying very clearly that he's saying bad trees or bad trees bear bad fruit, good trees bear good fruit. You might not like fig jam. I don't. But I can still understand what Jesus says. Trees do not change the fruit that they bear. But the point of what Jesus is saying is offering us, offering the audience listening to him, you can change the fruit that you bear by changing who you listen to. Trees don't change. To say that trees change is taking the illustration too far, but to say that we can change the very centre of what Jesus is saying. Make a change who you listen to. The second thing Jesus is saying in verse 45, he'll tell us, he tells us an illustration. Verse 45 tells us an illustration about a man who brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. The fruit that you bear is a reflection of where, what you're like deep down. And what do we know about the people Jesus is speaking to deep down? Well, chapter 6, verse 11 told us they're furious. They're, trying, they're plotting what to do with Jesus. We know what they're like at their core. Jesus has prodded them once too many times and their heart is reflected. Now, we know again, what do they do with Jesus? We know the fruit that is a reflection of their heart and the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, Jesus says. But we know it's not just a problem with the Pharisees of Jesus' day. We know that's a problem with us. There is a challenge in the passage of what sort of fruit we are speaking, what sort of heart that we have that is giving the fruit that comes out. And what does Jesus want us to be like? He's pointed it out, guys. The heart of God is mercy. Abundant mercy should flow from us. Not that judgmentalism, graceless, pharisaic moralism. What is the fruit that is reflected in your heart? God's mercy? 
or judgmentalism. So how do we determine what is the fruit that is reflected from our hearts? At Easter time, even brambles can have chocolates in them. If you get there quickly and it's not too hot, it can look like something like a bramble can produce something as good as chocolate. You see, as Jesus goes on to tell us about the fruit that plants produce, he's not suggesting that uh, there's no such thing as wolves in sheep's clothing, that a briar cannot be dressed up to look like something that it's not. But Jesus has critiqued the Pharisees, hasn't he? He's exposed where their heart is. He's prodded them and exposed what they really like on the inside. And when they got to see what God really demanded of them, what did they do? They didn't repent, did they? They didn't fall on their knees and say, Oh dear, I have got God wrong. I better change. I've misunderstood the passage. It has always been taught to me that way, but now I see that I have been taught incorrectly. That's not what they did. They were furious. They plotted how to get rid of Jesus because they didn't want the people under their control to know the truth about God. They didn't want to know the truth about God themselves. They weren't living for Yahweh. They were living for, well, let's say themselves, the control that it gave them, the humanitarianism that they felt as they did it. Their true food was exposed, wasn't it? Jesus says what that's like. Not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, in verse 46, has their foundations, he changes his metaphor, in the right place. Just because someone comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean that they are followers of God. How do you know who a follower of God is? How do you know when good fruit is being produced? Jesus makes it very clear that a follower of God, when good fruit is being produced, is someone who hears what Jesus says and puts it into practice. And if you don't do that, your foundations are on sand. When you get something, we'll keep on the topic of what Jesus is talking about, when you get someone exposed to you that graceless, pharisaic moralism is not a reflection of the heart of God, it is not what it means to be a follower of Yahweh, how do you react? Do you knuckle down into what you've always known? What's been your stable religious diet? Or do you see that Jesus says, actually, I have been exposed to something that is not Christian and the heart of God is abundant mercy. How do you respond? I guess I ask us to question that because it will help us determine where our foundations really are, won't it? whether we are no different to the audience that Jesus is speaking about. Which brings me to the final point, I think, that Jesus is raising in this passage. You see, Jesus actually wants these people that are listening to change the type of tree they are, to change their foundations, to change the guides that guide them. Blind guide into the pit. 
Who are you going to make as your teacher? And Jesus is saying, if you hear the words of mine and put them into practice, that will be good for eternity. Make a choice about who you're going to follow. They're not just pithy sayings that Jesus is giving us. This is a great challenge to the audience that Jesus is speaking to, to change their foundations. And that will affect their fruit, and that will affect their eternity. Now, before we start and knuckle down onto how this passage should change the way that we live, let's just make one thing very clear. Jesus is not saying that you get to heaven by producing good fruit. Okay? He's not saying that you get saved by works. And the reason we read, or we could have unpacked that passage from Ephesians in a lot more detail, but we won't. But I think that Ephesians passage makes it very clear. That you're saved by grace, not by works, so that none of us can boast. There's lots to unpack out of that Ephesians passage. But make sure you understand that Jesus in Luke is not saying that you're saved by works. And just so you know that Luke is affirming that as well, what does he say about the heart of God? It's to be merciful. And we are to reflect the mercy of God. You see, what has God shown to us? Abundant mercy. And what are we to show even to those that are our enemies? Abundant mercy. God is not saving you because you've merited it. He's not saving you because you've got a resume that impresses him. He's saving you because he loves you deeply and has lavished his grace upon you. Me too, by the way. So how does this passage impact us? I want to raise just three things. Here's the most obvious, I think. Let me raise it first. We would be very foolish to read through Luke 6 and get to the end of it and not seek to put into practice the words that Jesus says. Who are you listening to? Who should you stop listening to? Where are your foundations built, really built? Now, these are important questions, aren't they? If your diet has been graceless, legalistic living, then Jesus is saying, stop listening to that. Speaking to two different people, two completely different conversations last week that reflected on how they'd grown up, the diet they'd been fed at church and how the diet of moralism and legalism had been unhelpful because it's not about grace and mercy. The smartest thing you can do is that's been your diet is to avoid the false teachers that are teaching you. And here we see the heart of God. The heart of God is mercy. Stop listening to those that have turned the heart of God into graceless moralism. But in our context, there's more than just graceless moralism up for our diet, isn't there? You see, in Jesus' context, the religious leaders of their time, that was their focus. 
And Jesus exposed that. And we have a few other focuses of where those who claim to be religious leaders have gone. The people who, expo- who, who oppose the word of God today are the big picture of who it is that we need to stop listening to completely. Who are the false teachers that are around you? The wolves in sheep's clothing. I've warned you many times of the ones in the Adelaide Anglican context. I've talked about those that appoint clergy that openly reject key teachings of the gospel. I've warned you about the decisions our synods has made and the inaction of our leadership as a diocese to adopt pagan resources into the worship, the liturgies, to worship nature instead of God. I've talked about the people who openly reject the bodily resurrection of Jesus and have no discipline given to them by our leadership of our diocese. The people who reject hell as a place of, that we need to actually be, know about. People who reject, reject the idea of sin and God's wrath. And there are many others. Are you aware of the false teachers? Yes, I've told you. Are you listening to them? as if you can take a bit of this and a bit of that and meld it into my own spiritual journey. Who are you listening to? That's a really negative side of that question, but it's worthwhile raising because Jesus is raising it in that context. Here's the positive side. We have lots of opportunities to listen to good teaching, don't we? And I don't mean Dave and me, although I'd like to include us in that. You'll have to suss that out. I don't mean just Dave and me, I should have said. There's plenty of false teachers to avoid, but do you actively pursue an understanding of God's word? To hear God's word. Do you deeply desire to read God's word? Unpack it. Put it into practice. How do you do that? Reading the Bible regularly? Bible studies or Bible discussions? Do you look forward to this particular time on a Sunday morning? Or does it feel like it drags on and, gee, the footy would be nice? I don't know where the footy's playing, but anyhow. We have great privileges to listen to God's word, don't we? And here's the challenge. Are we taking them? There's a positive side to that question. Who are we listening to? Another thing why I think this passage should encourage us, maybe um, challenge us a bit. We want to hear God's word. But as we've seen, we want to be people who put it into practice. And how are we going with obedience? And that's where things get really muddy, isn't it? Uh, Because we struggle with obedience. We confess sin together because we know we need God's grace. That's an ongoing struggle. And and let me put the two extremes that might, might exist among us. I think we all exist in between these two extremes, but let me... Let me expose the two extremes. At one extreme, we could be feeling that our Christian living is almost next to perfect. We'd never put it that way because we're Australians. But we really have very little to confess with God. Maybe we broke the speed limit this week or told a white lie. But really in our hearts, we carry on with the expectation or maybe the presentation that we're next to God 
in godliness. Now, if that happens to be you at that extreme, let me remind you that you are saved 100% by grace, not by works. Let me expose in your thinking, maybe you've just held up three sins that you haven't broken and forgotten about the others. So you might not have done the three that you think are the most obvious uh, that Jesus is anti to, but all the ones like greed and pride and all that sort of stuff, no one ever really worries about that anymore, do they? So having said that at one extreme, what's the other extreme? The other extreme is that you feel that you've just constantly failed. And you don't get anything right. And how could God ever love someone who struggles with sin as much as you do? And what does Jesus' word say? We're saved 100% by grace. God's abundant grace. Not by works, so that none of us can boast. They're the two extremes. And remember, we fall, we fall all of us, between those two extremes probably, And so remember, we are saved 100% by God's grace, not by works, so that none of us can boast. But having said that, we shouldn't be comfortable with our sin, should we? We shouldn't be celebrating sin and embracing sin as if it didn't matter. We need to be people who struggle with sin. So here's the question again in that context. How are we going with obedience? How are you being more consistent with obedience? How do you work on it? Serious stuff, isn't it? Confess your sins to one another. Confess what you struggle with. Pray for each other. Part of gathering together as God's people is to spur one another on as followers of God until Jesus returns. Read God's word with someone who you're close to as a Christian brother or sister. Allow God's word to keep shaping the way that you know, what you know and therefore how you live. In a couple of weeks, a couple of months' time, I think it is, we're going to be looking into Peter. And without unpacking it very much, I just want to read out 2 Peter chapter 1 because I think it speaks into this world. Chapter 1, verse 3 through to verse 11. I think it's in June we're looking at it. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through through this, the though these sorry, sorry, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For you possess these qualities in, sorry, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting what they have been cleansed from, forgetting they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So between now and June, I might learn how to read, 
But won't it be great to unpack that passage? Won't it be great to unpack what it looks like to live as God's people and struggle with godliness in a serious way? Let's come back to this passage now that we're looking at from Luke. And let us ask, are we people who hear God's word and are we people who struggle with them to, to put it into practice? But not meaning as in not putting it into practice, but keep working hard at putting it into practice. And let me finish with just one more thing. Jesus wants us to be people who obey him. That's what he wants. Be like the Father. Be like the Father. Be people who show abundant mercy to those around you, even to your enemies. But at the same time, be people who stop listening to false teachers and people who start listening to Jesus or continue listening to Jesus. Because that's the heart of God. The heart of God wants us to be merciful like our Father is merciful and to hear God's word, and to put it into practice. Now, if that's your heart, I think that'll probably keep you busy for a while. Why don't we pray that God might change us? Lord God, we lament uh, the false, graceless, moralistic teaching that is been part of churches for the last 2,000 years. Lord, may we reflect the mercy and grace of God, even to our enemies. May we no longer listen to blind guides. May we listen to what Jesus says. Lord, transform our hearts, our very foundations so that our foundations will be built on rocks, not sand. So that we as your people will produce the fruit that you delight in. But we pray that we'll hear your word and put it into practice. We ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.